All right, welcome back to the Chasing Sunday podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Brian Davis, and <laughs> and I'm Paul Roman Levitt. Not quite picking up on the cues there. That's all right. I don't um, know. My brain is not working today. He was sending cues. He was waving I, his I, hands. I may have even pointed. He was mouthing. Mouthing what I should say. This is a. (laughs) He tried cue cards. (laughs) This is a podcast for and by worship leaders uh, to help you get off that Sunday to Sunday treadmill, hence the name Chasing Sunday. Uh, Really, we just want worship leaders to be healthy because we think healthy worship leaders uh, can help uh, healthy churches and healthy churches uh, can change the world. So, so yeah, we are glad that you have decided to listen to us. We've got a very special guest uh, on this episode, uh, a, a new friend of ours named Jimmy Carnes, um, and uh, a great conversation that we had with him. Um, I'll let Paul tell you a little bit about Jimmy, um, if you will. So Jimmy is currently the Director of Operations at Discovery Christian Church in Broomfield, Colorado, but a decade ago, he joined the church as the Director of Worship Arts, and so he's been a worship leader, and between then and now, he's worn several different hats within the organization, um, and that was the first place, this the church, Discovery Church, where he encountered Family systems theory um, from Steve Cuss, who is the 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 lead pastor there at the time, um, and he began facilitating that group uh, in leadership communities where uh, he teaches that material to staff there at the at the church, um, but then also for capable life where he is now a Enneagram coach. And so we get a little bit into the Enneagram. I'm kind of an Enneagram geek. I know we we know our numbers here, um, but especially what they lean into is this family system theory, which we'll talk a lot about in the episode if you don't know about it, but it's, it's, an, ama- it's an amazing tool. It is. And uh, I've had just some, uh, just sort of scratch the surface of uh, the capable life material through some uh, talks that that I've heard their uh, their leader and founder uh, Steve Cuss um, things that I've heard him talk about uh, in different settings and uh, it really is uh, very valuable um, as a leader just as a person like forget about you know leadership for a second if you're wanting to really start to uncover um, you know some of the things that that have gotten you to where you are. Um, it's a great place. This is a great place to start uh, with with the capable life stuff. Steve's book, um, managing leadership anxiety, um, has been. Uh, I I don't want to say it's been a game changer for me because it's. I'm still struggling to like incorporate some of the things that I've learned through uh, through that book. But um, that just. I mean, it it goes to show just how how deep a lot of this stuff goes. Like it it mm-hmm. it's not something mm-hmm. that you can just. Oh, I'm going to go to this website, or I'm going to read this book, or I'm going to listen to you know this podcast with Jimmy, and and everything's going to be better. No, these are things that that take some time uh, to to unpack and unload. Um, uh, I'm not sure if we've said this before, but uh, it's something that that I think is really important. Like you can't you can't get to where you're going unless you first identify where you are, and and I think that that this is a a great place to start. Um, with some of the stuff that uh, that Jimmy and, and Capable Life are talking about. So 
I will make a disclaimer about the audio on this episode. I, I, I own it fully. Okay. I was doing too much that day. Actually, I think I was, I had driven my daughter to intern with a makeup artist down in Castle Rock. And, and I was like, I need a place to record this podcast. And I, I reserved a, a room in a library, like a study room in a library. So that's my explanation. Whether or not you accept it and will give me forgiveness, I don't know. Is another matter. I don't know, Paul. I'm still working. <laughs> I'm still working through it. He's. I know you're still working, but yeah. I believe in you. But yeah, I, I mean, it just it highlights you know in this day and age where you know it's it's hard for people to get together, like the the you know things like Zoom and and you know all those things are are a great tool. Because uh, we were all like all three of us were in different places, so to be able to do this, uh, you know, sort of virtually uh, was great. But it also means sometimes uh, it's not going to sound as as crisp and clean as an NPR radio show. So, Ooh, uh, that sounds yeah. really so. Um, but yeah, no, I, I forgive you, Paul. It's it's fine, and cool. hopefully our listeners will forgive you. But enough of that. Let's let's get into it yes. right now on Chasing Sunday with our guest and new friend Jimmy Carnes. So, yes, Jimmy, um, tell us a little bit about what your life has been like up to this point. How did you get yourself into this ministry mess um, in the first place, uh, and, and 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 how did that path lead you to Colorado? So, yeah, take take us on a journey. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that could be a really long story. How long is this podcast? Oh God. It's five minutes, five minutes. So (laughs) let's wrap it up. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of different, uh, you know, meandering that I've done through my life, but I started taking Jesus seriously, you know, when I was out of college and uh, wanted to get married, but I got involved in a church down in Florida that literally passed out something that said, you know, you need to serve here if you're going to go here. And it was just a list of ways you can get involved. And I just pretty much said, no, 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 with all the different boxes and, and said, well, I own a guitar, so maybe I can help out there. So um, I I was literally on stage, not plugged in with an acoustic guitar next to somebody who was plugged in. Um, and so you fast forward, you know, five or six years there, I cut my teeth and they eventually plugged me in and I started helping out in the youth. And then, um, yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to get involved in a church, but um, I didn't land a job until I came out here to Colorado. And so... Uh, that's a whole nother story. Right. And you came to Colorado not to be in a church, but you were you wanted to fly helicopters. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Wow. If I'm giving voice to my inner critic, that's just proof that I don't make great decisions, uh, at least on paper. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, when I was, I by the time I was coming out here, I had already sold homes. I was a door-to-door salesman. I ran a paintball and scuba diving shop. And so I knew I wanted to come to Colorado, but um, you know, it was one of those things where you kind of assess your talents and abilities and your resume. And I really didn't have anything on paper that made me marketable, uh, especially not as a worship leader yet. So I thought, man, I like using, you know, all of my arms and legs and brain at the same time. And helicopters sounded amazing. And if you learn in the front range, then you can, I mean, it's always tough to compete with the military guys because they come out of the military with all these hours and these huge aircraft. But um, in the civilian world, if you learn up in the front range, then you have a little bit of an edge because the weather changes quickly. And so I thought to myself, man, that'd be fun. Um, and it was. And can we just say that you buried the lead so deep right in there? It's like a scuba diving and paintball shop. <laughs> it just kind of passed right through there. Just didn't 
didn't even stop. That's, that's a, a lot of people say, you know, when I when I hear when I say that, they say, "Man, how do you do those things at the same time?" Well, I mean, of course, <laughs> of course you don't. Uh, but they Carefully. are two businesses that comp. <laughs> yeah, they they complement each other pretty well because when one's busy, the other one's a little bit of a lull and vice versa. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. So now I'm I'm thinking up a new business idea, like paint harpoons. Yes. So that you can do you can do uh, scuba and paintball underwater. So yeah, I mean obviously you have to do scuba underwater. Um, that is I don't. That's you you don't. Well, I don't know the other the other model could be putting on <laughs> scuba gear and running around on a paintball field. That's that's the way I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I think both would be hilarious. The the yeah. latter would be easier to get insurance on. I think right right <laughs> I nice. Think so. I think so. So paintball, scuba diving, helicopters, of course it prepares you. Put a put a guitar on, plug you in. Of course, this is how yeah. ministry begins. Yeah, yeah, it's I think it's everybody's story. I, <laughs> it's it's the universal story. Everyone understands. It's the that. hero's journey. It's the, her- yeah. the hero's yeah. journey. It begins with paintball. <laughs> and you how long ago? So you've been you started there the worship leader at Discovery Church. Um, in Broomfield, right? That's and great. at that point, you guys were church in a box, right? Just kind of huffing it every Sunday. Was that true? That's true. The, they were a mobile church meeting in schools and cafetoriums and the like for, I think, 16 years before I got there. It was, it was, it was not, sh- not a short amount of time. They were very much familiar with setup and teardown. So, so you got in just just as everybody was exhausted, and they're like, "Well, we got to build." <laughs> yeah, in. yeah. Actually, it wasn't long before. I think maybe even weeks before I I had joined there, that Steve got on stage and he's like, "You know, this may be our last Sunday." Um, and it was right right at the end, uh, right at the edge of touch and go on whether or not they'd be able to build and um, you know get qualified for a mortgage and and all that stuff. So. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What have you discovered, you know, over over the course of that transition and then discovery being where it is now? Like that was the key maybe, I don't know, leadership components that that were really required for of you mm-hmm. in those transitions. Yeah, I'm not I, you may have to say that a question again because I thought you were going one way and then it took a turn and now I'm I don't have an answer. Oh. <laughs> Way to go, Paul. Yeah, I know. I have this, like, I, I call it, I call it the uh, verbal rope-a-dope. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the verbal rope-a-dope. Yeah, I'm, I am terrible at that. Well, basically what I'm just curious about is like, what did you notice about yourself in terms of how your, your leadership was evolving in that time to where you are now? Yeah, man, that's, that's so tough to answer because so many things were happening all at once. Um, you know, a church that is growing explosively. Um, you know, we went when I joined. There was maybe 220 people there, and um, and they told us this. I said, "Man, when you build a building in Colorado, there's something about Colorado that people, I guess, don't. I don't know if they don't trust the church until they have a place that they meet permanently or what it is. But there's some magic that happens when you build a building. They should you can expect to double in size, like." nothing that you've done. You'll just double in size because you have a building. Well, we, we like tripled in size in six months. We went from 250 people to 600 people. And while we were building systems to try and be ready for 600 people, we were at a thousand. And it was just, um, it was kind of one of those things where I think my wiring of being, you know, chasing adventure and doing a lot of odd things and weird things. Um, it was, it was, not easy, but I, I, I'm kind of wired to jump into things and figure them out as I go. And there was plenty of that going on. 
Yeah. And, and I imagine having to wear a lot of hats too, just kind of like being a generalist in that stage, which I, I think we talk often is, is that it gets people exhausted fast and contributes to, to burnout. Would, would you say that that was kind of, how did you, how did you contend with that, ha- having to do a bunch of things all at once? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess my 10 years of discovery, I've worn the, the director of worship arts hat, um, was over communications, uh, picked up facilities and logistics and operations, and then most recently finance. And, and I think, um, I think what's tough, we, we have these things that are capable of life. We, we call them the 31 sources of universal anxiety. And one of those is newness. Things that are new cause anxiety. Um, and there's an attractiveness to new, especially for me. I think new is one of the things that keeps me interested. But along with the new can come not knowing what to do, um, having to do something, having to have an answer when you don't know what that answer is, uh, learning in front of people, making mistakes in public. Those are all things that generate anxiety. And so um, I think I, I and Steve, Steve Cuss at Capable Life, I think we both believe that burnout has a lot more to do with the anxiety that you carry than the number of tasks that you're accomplishing in a day. A lot of us actually like to be busy and it's not the number of tasks or the things that we do. It's the, it's the anxiety that comes with those things. It's the deadline that's coming and, and all the emotion that goes into what if it isn't there in time or what if it's not good enough or all these things of us trying to prove our worth in all the different ways that we do. And, and that's really what burns you out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So as a, as a leader on that, on that staff, uh, at discovery, um, what were some of the things that you guys maybe put in place, uh, to help your staff or help your, even, even you as a, when you were leading worship there, you know, with your worship team, all that kind of stuff, what, what kinds of things did you help put in place to, to deal with that anxiety, knowing that that was what was leading to what could lead to burnout? Were, were there specific practices or I don't know, how did, how did you guys manage that as a, as a staff? Yeah. I mean, we, we did a number of things. One of the ones that um, I think was the most impactful for the staff perspective, you know, uh, when you start including all the volunteers and congregants, that, that group of people kind of scales uh, out of control pretty mm-hmm. quickly to be able to do something with all those people. But starting with the staff level, um, you know, we, it's at one point in time, we had about 30 staff. And so um, we have a, a program that incorporates family systems theory and some of these tools that help you manage anxiety into a, a nine month course that we call a leadership community and everybody on staff and actually a lot of our key volunteers. And now that all of those people have gone through, even our congregants have signed up and taken that. And it's amazing how much of a difference. I mean, that's a, that's an intensive, right? Nine, yeah. nine months. It's these, you know, different uh, we've, we've, grown in our number of facilitators so we can accommodate more people each time. But point of the story is, is that it gives us tools to be what we call differentiated. And it's just managing your own anxiety and the anxiety of the people around you. And it's one of those things that can have like a concentric circles effect to where even people in the congregation who've never gone through this class are benefiting from the staff and then volunteers that show up in a more differentiated way. And it, and it, and it really lowers anxiety without even encountering any of the, in the material, if that yeah. makes sense. No, you get, and therefore you must have the healthiest staff of any church <laughs> well, anywhere. So uh, congratulations. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> think that's true, but we, we are definitely working hard to move to that direction. Yeah. 
that's really the key is you're at least you've at least recognized it and you guys are, you know, taking steps and, and moving toward, you know, that, that area of health, you know, obviously yeah. nobody does it perfectly. No church is, is ever going to do it perfectly. Um, but at least recognizing it, I think is such a huge step because there are so many churches that, that don't. Um, and so many, you know, especially worship leaders and, and kind of the higher up the chain you get, uh, in the staff, like the, the less and less people are aware of these things. And if they are aware of it, they have no idea how to deal with it. So, um, yeah. so just the fact that you guys have said, like, we know that this is a thing and we are going to do something about this thing is that's enormous. So, yeah, well, I mean, given that you guys work specifically with worship leaders for, for me, when I was in that role and that was my primary role at discovery, um, I mean, it's such a big deal when you, I mean, you're leading not only the band, but you're leading the room. And so you've got all these different things you're juggling, but they're all humans that are involved in those things. The, the human that is playing the bass. So you're not just getting wrong notes or whatever, but there's just that bassist or that bassist always get the hard times. So I don't know why that I'm <laughs> jumping on bassist, but that's just kind of the way that it goes. But um, I think they can take it, right? That's why yeah. we do it, right? Those they are they are the lesser brother, you know. <laughs> they're just like let's just be honest. They need a little help. Look at them. Just- uh, let, let's let's switch to the, the yeah. guitarist. You know, they, they come in and they by by seven a.m. A lot of them have already had a full day. You know, with all the things they've had to manage coming in, and and if you don't pay attention to those things, then that enters into the music you're creating. It it enters into the the environment you're creating in the whole room. And so, um, I, I think my success. I don't have a a, a stellar voice. Uh, my guitar skills, I would say, are they get the job done. But I think that why I've excelled at discovery is, is my ability to, to kind of create a moment where the fewest things are in the way as possible mm-hmm. for us to encounter God. And um, yeah. that's, that's the way. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I think what, I think you're, you're really touching on it. And, and, and I'll just back up and kind of say, you know, Hey, we're already starting to talk about family systems theory because of capable life. I do want to give you, I want you give you a chance to kind of give us, give our listeners a sort of an introduction to capable life, but also family systems theory. If you don't, if you don't know, I would love for you to, to talk about it. But I think what I want to, before we jump into that, I just want to say like the beautiful thing you just did there, Jimmy, is, is that you broadened a definition for what is a worship leader. You know, you, it wasn't, it's not like I have to be past a certain level of competency to even be considered mm-hmm. musically to be considered a worship leader that you can be kind of like B plus B or whatever, you know, and, and do well at leading a room, leading a group of yeah. people. Um, and that, that's probably even the biggest um, quality or competency that's, that's required for, for that kind of role and being, and being attuned. But, but I, I, so I think that's so amazing, but would you, would you take us into a little bit of like family systems theory, what is it? What are you talking about with capable life? Where did that come from? Yeah. Um, so, so systems theory is often called family systems theory. Some people call it Bowen uh, after Murray Bowen, who founded it. But after Bowen, it's taken so many different iterations. It's probably the safest just to call it systems theory because of all the different ways that it goes. But um, capable life was started by Steve Cuss. He was our pastor at Discovery Church, and he wrote a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety, which he he's basically pulling together lots of things that he learned with his time as a chaplain and learning under some of these family systems guys and incorporating that into a theology and something that can be incorporated in with our faith. And um, he wrote that book and then 2020 hit 
uh, everybody's anxious. Uh, it's it's well being well received, and so um, he started a, a platform called Capable Life, which really emerged out of this you know leadership community that we're doing in our church. We were trying to give access to more people, and so the best avenue that he found was a platform where you can go and watch videos and join groups and get coaching and start to work out some of uh, this theory in lowering anxiety. But the the kind of short little snippet of what it is, it, it's a pretty complex thing, but the shortest thing, the shortest intro into it is that we teach people how to notice and name what makes them anxious and then give them tools to, to manage that anxiety because anxiety is something that at a chronic level, um, you know, it, it can cause all kinds of uh, trouble. <laughs> yeah. And, and can I, can you say, it's just like, can you ever get rid of anxiety? Is there any, any way we can just kind of like at some point we'll finally get mature enough, we'll get rid of anxiety? <laughs> no, as an idealist, uh, I'm wired as an idealist. I would love if that were true. Uh, I don't think it is. Uh, we, we definitely don't teach that, that anxiety is something you can eliminate, uh, but it is definitely something you can manage. Yeah. I mean, just, just the, the fact that we can't ever get over our anxiety makes me anxious. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so the vicious cycle, I've got, right? yeah, I've got anxiety jokes for, for days. So, that's, um, <laughs> yeah. but I, I do yeah, think yeah. It, what you said is really important and was incredibly important. Here's like, I first learned about that managing leadership anxiety on the day Colorado shut down. Yeah. Like there was the managing leadership anxiety conference that was happening at discovery. I was happened to be working for a church at the time we went there and it was, I was on the phone working on an event on an event and they were like, is it going to go? Is it not going to go? And the whole time we're here in this room and we're, de- and so I, it's one of those things that's burned in my mind. But one of the things <laughs> that jumped out is just this idea of why we wouldn't want to get rid of anxiety entirely. You know, in the same way, we don't want to get rid of sadness. We don't want to get rid of anger. It's actually connected to the good stuff as well. You know, it's, it, there's some piece of it that is is part of it because it's part of being human but when it comes to chronic anxiety and anxiety getting past its be its boundaries its appropriate boundaries um then it become then that's what we're talking about that that's what that we all live with and we go we, we just term it you know we, we call it anxiety in this broad umbrella but um there there's a there's a piece of that, that we just have to be more clear and say, Hey, this is the stuff that's not good that needs to be managed, you know, and this is the part that's part of you that's beautiful and helpful and good. Um, is that kind of what you've, you've discovered too? I don't know if that's, if that's true. Yeah. I think that as you were talking, I was thinking of two separate things. One of them being is that, uh, you know, we don't have many, uh, idols of wood and stone anymore these days, but we for sure have idols that we sacrifice energy and time to. And a lot of times these things aren't objectively bad. Like for instance, one of my idols is being responsible or being on time or not letting somebody down. Um, I, I get a lot of my value and worth out of that when I, when I lose sight of the good news of Jesus. And the problem is, is that identifying that, that I'm pursuing this for the wrong reasons doesn't mean I should give up the pursuit altogether. Uh, you know, like waking up one day and saying, hey, I'm just going to be late to everything because it's it's tearing me apart, this anxiety I carry to make sure that I'm on time, let's say. 
Um, that, that's not what you do. You don't get rid of that pursuit. You just pursue it with a different energy. You pursue it because it's good. You pursue it because it respects the people, you know, and honors their time and that kind of stuff. But, but if I, for some reason, aren't on time, then it allows me to that not actually change who I am. You know, what Jesus says is true, that our worth is inherent. It doesn't come from what anything we say or do, or what people say or think about us or what we have. It's just built in. And so when you can kind of detangle the the anxieties that drive us, then you can still do those things. Like to your point, the ways that we're wired that are good, um, but but you use them for good versus being driven by them to try and get this thing off your back, the shame and condemnation of, if I am not this, I'm not worthwhile. Um, there was a second part in there, but I, I lost myself as I started talking, but uh, that was a, I, I mean, that was a good place to lose go yourself. Ahead. No, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're no, if you're going to lose yourself, lose yourself in, in that idea of like, before I do a single thing, like I'm okay. You know, like, yeah, even, even if everything around me is not okay or things don't turn out okay, or they don't go okay, whatever, like I'm still at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, throughout the day, I'm still you know, deeply loved child of God. And, and that is, yeah, if, if, if we can, if we can start there or at least find our way back to there, like so many, so many good things can flow out of that. And, and I just, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for, you know, for this work that you guys are doing to help people, you know, kind of understand that and at least, you know, start identifying those places where it's like, oh, I've been, I've been working really, really hard to keep myself from getting worked up over these things. And at at some point you just need to, you know, not necessarily let go of those things because those things can be good, but, but think about, yeah, like you said, how to approach those things and, and, and how much energy do I put toward those things and where do I root it? Like, am I rooting that in just trying to be awesome at this or just trying to, you know, make people happy by being on time or not waste other people's time, all that kind of stuff. If we can, if we can root ourselves in this idea of our acceptance, then uh, that, that goes a long way, I think, toward helping, you know, kind of manage or, you know, somewhat alleviate that anxiety. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're such binary thinkers sometimes too, and that a lot of things are on off for us and, and that's, that's, I think, the logical fallacy is if, if, if for some reason I say, well, yeah, I want to be on time and I'm driven by it, but hey, it's a good thing. But the option to not be driven that way isn't to stop doing it like we talked about. It's just, it's, there's, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't mean that, that turning, it's not like a switch that I turn off and suddenly I'm not, you know, going to be responsible. But um, I, I finally grabbed the thing that I was listening to you, Paul, and I wanted to say is that you were saying eliminate anxiety and that there are some good things. And, and, and I, I don't, I would love to eliminate anxiety, but I think that the, what I think you're trying to get at is that, um, there are things in us that are good. And maybe like we were talking about, we're interpreting them wrong, but I like to think of anxiety as just a warning signal. It's, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, the pain receptors we have or the ability to feel leprosy was such a problem because they stopped feeling right. And so yeah. feeling even pain when you can't feel pain, that's a really bad thing. And so, anxiety, if you start to pay attention to it, your body is a wonderful warning system of letting you know that really you're believing to trust your own ego or you're you're trying to do God-sized jobs with human strength. And if you can get off that treadmill and start releasing these things, these God-sized jobs to God, man, you can really calm down and still do great things. Yeah. 
I was listening. I'm a fan of Radiolab, the, the podcast show. As they were doing a story. There's a woman who she cannot be contacted directly. No journalists know who she is. She's basically has a team of therapists around her because she has a diagnosis that essentially doesn't allow her brain to feel fear. Wow. And it's an incredibly dangerous um, experience for her. Um, because she can be in places that are very actually dangerous and she wouldn't register them as mortally dangerous. I, to your, to your correction, I think, you know, Jimmy is that anxiety is that warning flag that, that often comes from stressors. Like humans need stress. We, we actually have to have some stress to be healthy. Too much stress obviously has the adverse effect. It, it deteriorates things like it, it, it ruins neural connections in our brains. It starts to dry up dendrites, all that kind of stuff, but not enough. And we begin to atrophy. We begin to, we have fail and get more sick and all sorts of stuff. So we happen to be in that important little balance. And I do think it's a spiritual thing. I think it's incredibly spiritual that God would set things up in a way that we would need to be stressed, that we would need to be, worried sometimes or, or experience some loss of, of uh, even God's presence, that there are times of darkness. There's desolation and consolation in the scriptures. There's lamentations and psalms, all that kind of stuff, all very welcomed and integrated into the part of like, this is the life of faith. The life of faith isn't in the absence of this. The life of faith is with all of these things about being human um, that I find uh, very, very encouraging. Like I, like Steve would say often, and I'm a fan of his podcast too. He was like, that I don't have to be anything except for exactly human sized. What a great, what a great soundbite that I just kind of almost use it as a mantra sometimes that I go like, I just have to be just human sized, just this body, this human body. Um, and that's what Jesus loves. Um, so yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious along those lines of, you know, you know, identifying and, and sort of naming, uh, or noticing and naming, you know, those things that make us anxious, um, bringing that back into the, the worship leading realm. Um, what, what kinds of things, you know, in, in you, Jimmy, did you identify, uh, that made you, you know, anxious during the, you know, as you're preparing for a Sunday morning service or, or whatever, even in, in the, in the moments of leading worship, uh, and leading a congregation, um, what, what are some of those things and, and what would you say to another worship leader who is, you know, having those similar kind of thoughts and doubts and is, is trying to be, you know, more than human sized as, as, you know, as Paul and, and Steve have said, um, what, well, yeah, if you could, if you could speak to that a little bit, just for the, for the worship leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, I, I have like, I have like eight different paths that I want to start it all to conversion to one. I'm trying to funnel them into something that makes some sort of coherent dialogue. Wait, you mean you get anxious about more than one thing when you're leading worship? <laughs> Yeah. So, so, um, I, when I started, uh, doing this job for discovery, um, I, I didn't, I didn't know anything about, uh, the Enneagram I've, I've since, uh, become an Enneagram fanatic. I'm actually uh, now putting some content on capable life and doing some Enneagram coaching. But, um, what I've learned about myself is I'm a perfectionist. Uh, and, and it was, it's actually pretty silly because I rejected the idea, um, 
because I was being perfectionistic about the word perfectionist. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, wow. I'm not a perfectionist because no human can be perfect. So that's silly for any, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty wow. cool. That's net, that's layers. Well, yeah. Like when you need a, a perfect <laughs> definition of perfection, yeah, you might be a perfectionist. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyhow, you know, obviously you, you could, you guys can imagine when you're dealing with music and um, obviously there's lots of creativity in music, but there are also rules and and for me, you know, I, I I did get caught up a lot in, man, this is so imperfect. You know how how is how imperfect is okay and passable, and would start uh, finding myself getting anxious, and then getting even more perfectionistic. You know, like run it again, or let's do this part, and make sure this little section of this song is exactly right, and miss the forest for the trees. Mm. You know, I, I can tell you tons of times where I let us poorly and. You know, ate up all our time working on this little thirty-second part of a worship service, and and it's like I'm not saying that's not important. Excellence is good and worth pursuing, especially if you've got the talent to do so. But um, holy smokes, I, I let the anxiety get the best of me in um, in those ways. But to answer your question of like, what have I noticed and named? It one of the things we do in in individual coaching and also at um, Capable Life is help people really define. Uh, concretely what makes them anxious. So an example for me is that I actually believe um, that I have to get something perfectly right the first time I do it every time, mm. even if I've never done it before. Mm. And that's that's absurd. Saying mm. that out loud with those <laughs> you know exaggerated words is really easy to say, that's so silly, Jimmy. Why would you believe that? But it doesn't start there. It starts with, I like to be good at what I do. And that's actually not the message. The message really is, I need to be perfect the first time, even if I've never done it before. And to be able to name that and look at the way that I show up and see anxiety rising up in me, I can go and and really apply messages of grace and truth and what God says about me over what I tend to believe about myself. And it's that work, you know, obviously over quite a long amount of time that, that begins you to notice in the moment versus after the fact, coming home from rehearsal and going, shoot, I did it again. I got all anxious and this is what happened. And, you know, and then there's all the shame and condemnation, but you can learn to, to recognize those warning signals, the anxiety in the moment and choose a better path. Right. And then it calms the people down around you, you know, cause of course they know what's happening to me even more than I do. They're like, Oh, here, uh Oh, here's the rest of practice is going to be terrible. He's getting, you know, super critical, hypercritical. Can we just take a time out and you just calm down and then come back and maybe we can finish. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy's at it again. Oh man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how many, ba- how many bass players did you go through at Discovery, <laughs> uh, as you were <laughs> dropping like flies? That's so right. I plead the fifth. That's right. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think that's important that, that specificity. There we go. I'll say that, that word mm-hmm. slowly and carefully. Um, because yeah, it, it it's easy to, to overgeneralize, but when we do that, it, it's also then easy to just brush past it, you know, because it's, you know, it's it's a lot easier to sweep away, you know, a, a big thing, you know, a big general thing than it is to like get down into the very heart of it, and and that's that is hard work to do, um, especially in the moment, you know. So it, it, I, I want to c- kind of continue on this track because I'm I'm curious, you know, you mentioned, you know, like as we were joking, it's like, Oh, you know, he's at it again. Like, let's just take a break and we'll come back. Like, 
when you are working those things through in the moment, so you've, you know, you've, you've noticed, you've, you've named this thing that makes you anxious and, and you realize that it's happening in the moment for you. Can you kind of talk us through what that would look like then to, to, you know, sort of bring that out into, you know, into the light in front of your team, you know, and in front of these people and, and work that through in that moment. What does that look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's general answers and specific answers and, and, you know, the general answers don't account for all the nuances, but one of the attempts at a specific answer would be, like you said, it's called naming the the dynamic Mm. and, and simply pausing and naming what's going on can really reduce everybody's anxiety because uh, what we do in groups is we, we kind of silently agree to lots of things. You know, you'll go into a group and a family system and, you know, nobody talks about this issue or whatever, but everybody knows it's an issue. Um, sometimes naming the dynamic can can really reduce everybody's anxiety. So in that case, um, I, I mean, I know I've done this before of of saying, well, let me let me make sure I'm being truthful here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know because I think that. Man, now I'm really stuck. I want to say that there there have been times where I've stopped practice and said, you know, I'm an, I may have been generic and didn't want to bring them into the fold and saying, you know, I'm getting caught up on stuff that really doesn't matter. Let's take a step back and and re-engage. But um, depending on the group and the situation, all that kind of stuff, it can be very appropriate, especially like in one-on-one scenarios or a relationship where the dynamic happens a lot. Um, That's definitely one of the tools you can use. What a tremendous amount of vulnerability that takes, you know, to be able to do that. Cause from the time, you know, we get into leadership and even before that, like leaders that, that we, you know, kind of held as examples before we got into leadership, like all of it is, you know, you don't show weakness. You don't like, you don't admit that you're wrong. You don't like, you just kind of soldier through and, and you move past. So I even read an article, uh, from, I think it was inc.com or something like that about like, here are, like here are five things you can say in a meeting except I'm to instead of I'm sorry. You know, like don't basically saying like don't ever apologize for for having done something wrong or don't like just here here's a different way that you can say it because again it just it continues to feed that that idea that I I can't be weak, I can't admit that I did something wrong in front of my team and and man, that, that gets exhausting too. You know, uh, this idea of like, I can't, you know, so it, this isn't obviously something that you just do, you know, overnight, like, uh, you know, I'm going to read managing leadership anxiety and then all my problems will be fixed. Uh, that may or may not be my story. Um, cause I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I got like two thirds of the way through it and I was like, why, why isn't this better yet? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah. it, it it takes practice, and it takes an, an incredible amount of of yeah. humility and vulnerability. So, are there are there kind of baby steps that you can take into into that process? Yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. Uh, for me, especially as a perfectionist, if you can imagine being armed with all these tools to notice and name anxiety, and then continue to be anxious, it it, it feels. Uh, pretty defeating at times of I should know better is, is the voice in my head, right? right? I should be better at this by now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the number one thing it, to, to remember is, is to be patient with yourself and be gracious to yourself because um, the guy, Murray Bowen, who created this scale of differentiation, it's a scale of zero to a hundred. 
And I think he puts himself at like a 20 or 30 on the scale mm. out of a hundred. Wow. Um, and, and so like a failing grade, mm-hmm. um, and, and even the most differentiated people would be in the, you know, 50, 60 range is what he's saying. And so it's one of these things that can feel, you know, like drudgery, like, oh, like to your point, Paul, can we ever eliminate anxiety? Like, is this just going to be a problem forever? Um, but the baby steps, what's amazing is you can implement some of the smaller things, like as simple as noticing where you're anxious. Is it a spinning mind? Is it a racing heart? Is it a tightening gut? A lot of people don't know. They'll be like, oh, all three. Well, if, if it's all three, then usually one is triggering the other, and then the other is triggering the other. And you don't notice until you're you're in it. And to try and detangle it at that point, man, that's a Herculean strength type exercise. But um, that's a, it's, it's, a, it's amazing what can happen when you go, okay, take the time to figure it out. Well, for me, it's a tightening body. So I'm my shoulders are up even when I'm eating cereal. You know, my, my wife comes and she puts them down. And it's like, oh. What are you carrying? It's like, man, lots of stuff. You know, it's your body trying to tell you that, man, there's something you need to deal with. There's some, um, and man, I could talk for hours, but it gets into this just idea that our, the the Enneagram, what what I'm dealing with my next pop, my uh, module is really digging into the holy ideas of the Enneagram and how our personalities are derived from this disconnection from one of them or a disconnection from God. And what happens is, that we try and return back to the way that things should be or prove our worth. And we do that with our ego. Our ego steps in. There are these things called ego fixations. And it's really us trying to fix our brokenness and our disconnection from God, which we know only God can do. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we're trying to do God's work, Christ's work. And and we and like you say, we can't show weakness. That's an ego thing. Right. Like even outside of Enneagram, people use the word ego as like macho and tough guy. But mm-hmm. from a clinical standpoint, that's a part of your brain that's trying to actually help you and it thinks it's fixing things, but it doesn't have the power to. And so you just (laughs) fall on your face over and over and over again. So these warning signals are just saying, Hey, that's not going to work. I'm ready to get off the treadmill and receive a good news message from God that says, you know, no, actually your worth is derived from something completely different. And that's not some cliche statement. It's actual bedrock truth that dismantles these lies and things that drive us. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating. You're talking about the sort of the nuance of differentiation, which is like the ego wants to be separate. You know, that's it, it's it says I I I I don't want to have connectedness. I can do this on myself by myself. I I can I can manage this on my own. The differentiated self has this wants to not be affected by someone's anxiety and not let your anxiety affect other people. So it is separation to a degree without being emotionally cut off with, you know, just that, that says, I can't, um, I can't allow myself to be vulnerable or needed or, or dependent. Um, and, and, and to Brian's point, just kind of saying like, we, there's all sorts of, strategies that we use to uh replace vulnerability with other things like even when it came to come to apology i was just seeing it was like a news story where, where they were talking about how many politicians instead of apologizing they would say mistakes have been made uh, you know that's what it is the mistakes have been made <laughs> and and it was like there's an acknowledgement there, but not quite an apology. You know, it was like mistakes have been made. Great. I mean, if that isn't 
<laughs> like the ego still holding on to power at every age. Right. Oh, man. Absolutely. Mistakes uh, have yeah. been made. Mistakes uh, have been made. Yeah. What is what is like brave practice look like for you? You know, I know I talk a little bit, of, you talk a little bit about that, but that's that the small, tiny steps that you use to counteract some of those negative stories. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's the crucial element because, I mean, you can read self-help books and you can learn new things to try and reframe things in your mind, but your mind just learns differently than your heart does. Your, lar- your heart learns experientially. And so you have to mm. kind of use your mind to create new experiences to kind of submit new truths into your heart and experience and brave practices where that comes in. If you want to take it down to the most simplistic level of of like, man, I don't know where I get anxious. Is it my spinning mind? Is it a tightening gut? Or is it a racing heart? A brave practice for somebody like that is to, to intentionally put themselves into a scenario that makes them anxious and observe themselves. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's like you're you're turning into a sociologist or an ex, a scientist and and kind of observing yourself react. And and as it gets more sophisticated with some of these other tools, it's it's actually taking you know something when you've come to terms with your core values and you have a values violation or you have um, a false belief that you've defined. Brave practice is putting yourself in a scenario where that's going to happen observing yourself and then realizing that the sun comes up the next day, you know, life goes on that the, the things that you think that are going to happen, uh, if you know, that happens, you realize that they don't, you know, that it's fear and these things that drive you. And so it's, it's, it's a tool that helps you dismantle that. And we just say that in community, it's the best way because, um, it's amazing what can happen in these leadership communities and group coaching. When people share things like we talk about imposter syndrome and how that's something that you can feel. And, and sometimes it's the first time that other people around them have said, yeah, I was afraid that somebody was going to come along who knew this, how to do this job better than me and expose me as a fraud. Like they think that people have it all together. Those people over there, they've got it figured out. And I'd like to be one of those people when inside them, they've got that same voice of like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> okay. Stop talking about me, you guys. <laughs> I'm feeling exposed. That's right. It's like yeah. so, I feel someone's like, been reading it, my journal. <laughs> Stop it. Has there has there anybody when you've been trying to practice some something that's moving towards health, has that ever bothered somebody or they just kind of couldn't handle it? Um, maybe in a group or whatever. Has that have you had that experience before? Oh, absolutely. So in systems theory, there's a piece called sabotage. So if you have somebody in the system, so a system is just any group of people that spend any amount of time together. It's not just your family of origins where you can see it the most obviously, but if you work with people, you know, I mean, you guys are a part of a system if you are hanging out together. And what happens if somebody decides to show up differently in the system, usually the system will sabotage or react poorly. Um, uh, there's a term called over-functioning and under-functioning and, and an over-functioner would generally do things for other people that they should do for themselves. And, and it's usually an over-functioner finds an under-functioner and then they're in this great relationship, right? Cause the over-functioner is doing everything and the under-functioner is doing not very much. Well, if the over-functioner decides to stop, to start functioning more normally, then there's this gap in between. And the under-functioner says, what happened? You used to be great. I used to really like you as a person, and now you're showing up and not doing all these things for me. They, they may be able to articulate what hasn't, you know, you stopped doing this or whatever. But 
Um, that's just that's that's to be expected. When you change the way you show up in a system, the system has to react to it, and sometimes it sab- it you know tries to sabotage that effort. But if you give it enough time and you're you're you know committed to showing up the way that you're going to, they'll actually you'll find underfunctioners begin to more fully function, and that's that's how that's how this whole concentric circle thing happens. Is you can have somebody on a volunteer team that never encounters this material. But you start creating these expectations to where everybody's fully functioning, and you um, you create a healthier environment. Mm-hmm. Man, and that's where that's where I see so much like scapegoating happening, and and stuff because I wonder if the scapegoating act is sort of a reaction, a response to somebody getting healthier. Um, so if some group is, or or even somebody who has been doing the scapegoating you know, goes like, hmm, maybe it's not all this people group. That's the problem that that is to blame for my problems. And you start sharing that and you start going like, actually, I think I found some good news. It's not their problem. It's ours. You know, it's like <laughs> we might be the issue that historically goes down really well. Oh, I found. Yeah. Like nobody, yeah. nobody gets crucified. Nobody gets killed. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah, cool. yeah, that's 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 the human condition, man. Yeah, yeah. that's the, that's the oh, problem is boy. you're practicing all this stuff and it's not always safe. These things aren't like guaranteed recipes for, you know, running through a field with daisies and roses. There's there's a lot of hard that's ahead of it, but um, holy smokes, it's worth it, especially from an energy standpoint. The amount of energy we spend carrying all this stuff, um, it's it's just unknowingly exhausting. When you start to put some of those things down, you're like, holy smokes. I feel so much lighter. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm curious as, as you guys have done this work, uh, with, with capable life and, and, um, you know, there's, there's still not surprisingly, but in, in a lot of Christian circles, there's still sort of a, sort of an anti, like anti-psychology, anti, um, you know, like anti-science, you know, like, so as you guys take this time to, to really uncover, you know, these things that, that are going on in our brains, um, what do you, what do you say to those who come at you and say like, ah, oh, this is all, you know, psychiatry and, and psychological hooey, like, you know, God is in control of everything and he'll fix us and, and everything's going to be fine. How, how do you guys react to that? How do you respond to that? I mean, obviously those aren't the kinds of people that are, you know, probably coming to your workshops, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, wait a second. I thought yeah. that this was, you know, uh, I, I thought this was going to be about tulip or something. I, I just, I'm curious, <laughs> like when you, when you come across, uh, when you come across those people, like what, how do you respond and how do you, how do you work that? How do you work that out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, with with capable life, you know, obviously there's a lot of psychology involved there, and and there there's obviously you know Bowen, it's a secular pursuit, right? It's not a, a baptized in the church. I think that there's not a ton of people who are really trying to incorporate theology and systems, and that's why I think that there's some of the stuff that Steve is doing is unique. Um, for me, I think that. Uh, because I'm also, you know, pursuing the Enneagram that's, that can be as much, well, it's, it's a little bit more 
uh, mainstream now. You know, people know and have although yeah, vicious, still yeah, still somewhat controversial in a lot oh, of yeah. Christian you, circles. So it's a you know polarizing topic. If you either people are like oh yeah, it's changed my life, and oh that's from the devil, um, and everywhere in between. And 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 I don't I don't know. I actually don't know that I've had a ton of direct you know discussions on trying to convince the other that you know this is what it is or whatever but what's helped keep us grounded as we even have our own like well what what is this and are we leading people into this area that is away from god all of these things all of these tools are i don't think that they're helpful without a belief in jesus i I really don't like i think it's yet another self-help book that can marginally you know you can become it's like the fruits of the spirit you know the the people that teach like okay you know i'm going to be more patient and so i'm going to wait at the end of the line and, and all those kind of things to develop patience. Sure. You can be marginally more patient, but actually patience is a gift. It's a fruit. It's evidence of God's work in your life. And so really the best pathway towards patience is to ask God for it. God, give me patience. Um, and in, and these tools are harnessed to that end going, okay, I'm going to notice that I'm driven by X, Y, or Z. It's, it's followed directly by a prayer of God, you died so that I don't have to blank anymore. Um, it's really dying to self and pursuing the good news of Jesus. So um, I don't know that there's a there's a strong argument against that. If if you're successfully, you know, trusting God to do God sized jobs, um, it's difficult for me to to buy into an argument that says that's pointing us in the wrong direction. But mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. yeah. Thank you. That that yeah. That's good. Jimmy, this has been so fantastic. I, I know we feel like we could go on for another two hours to talk about this stuff and we want to, uh, but uh, we want to honor your time for sure and um, give us time to wrap up. But one thing I want people to know too, because, you know, with Chasing Sunday and with Torn Curtain Arts, we care deeply about worship leaders. We, we and, and pastors and any creative leaders, any artists, um, that they have strong creative souls. Uh, and, and I do know that that's kind of at the heart too of Capable Life about having people um, become healthier. Um, where can people find out more about that, more about Capable Life? Where do we find you? Where, do we, where, do, where, where can people get involved? Yeah, so if you just go to Capable Life, um, you know, I want to say it's .com, but it's not. It's capablelife.me. I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting it wrong and sending so many people to a phishing website. Um, if you type in Capable Life in paintball. Google, you'll find <laughs> There's nothing here but paintball it's and scuba diving. Scuba. <laughs> yes. Hey, I brought it back, baby. I brought it back. Yeah, yes. I could really piggyback on this and create a whole other thing based off of misplaced uh, excitement. Um, yeah, capablelife.me.me. Uh, that's how you. I, I really think that it is. It's the most um, easily accessible way. They're they're kind of bite sized videos that talk about all the different tools, and we break them into modules where you can run through them in a linear fashion, or you can search a term like uh, differentiation or triangulation and learn about it kind of a la carte. Um, but then off of that, there are other things you can do: group coaching or individual coaching, or ways that you can get resources to journey through this with you know, where, right where you're at. Um, so that's probably the best way to, to get in contact. And, and all the coaching links are through there. So if you wanted to hire me as a coach, for instance, you could do that through the Capable Life pro- platform as well. 
Oh, fantastic. Well, I hope that more people find out about you and and the great work that you're doing for the church and for people in general. And um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's just been an amazing conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been fun. That was such a fun conversation with Jimmy. Um, I think we got into all the the glory of what, or just actually scratching the surface of what family system theory is, Bowen theory. Um, and I, and I've heard them talk about, you know, both it being about how we manage anxiety, but they talk about it also as maybe even reactivity is a better term. Um, just because of how almost anxiety is a bit of a buzzword in our culture right now, but how do we minimize the reactivity in our lives? Um, and um, I, I loved actually just hearing the, the story of how he came to Colorado in the first place wanting to be a helicopter pilot. I was like, of course you did. That's so awesome. Heli- helicopter, scuba diving, and paintball. Like That's right. I, yeah. I, I know we talked a little bit about like how we can combine the scuba diving and paintball, but there's got to be a way to get helicopters in there too. Some, some, maybe if it's even remote control helicopters. Can we move to drones and oh, somehow? Oh, yeah. There you we go. Can incorporate drones. That's sort of like it. Drones, uh, paintball, and scuba diving. Yeah. Done. Uh I think it's time to shut down Torn Curtain Arts, Paul, and, yes, move and into a start new, a new business. <laughs> into a new business. Um, <laughs> yeah, some of the stuff that stuck out to me um, that that I know can be kind of difficult, uh, mm. just because I've had difficulty with it over the last, you know, uh, you know, forty four years of my life. Um, I'm forty four. That's why that's funny. Um, <laughs> is is this idea of noticing and naming what makes us anxious? Um, I think that can be a challenge because we just don't slow down enough. Um, we, we don't, we don't hit the brakes long enough to be like, what actually is it that is, that is making me feel this way? Um, and, and then giving it a name and, and not necessarily trying to like, you know, beat it out of ourselves or, but, but just sort of look at it, you know, dispassionately and, and just notice it and say, oh, that is a thing. And it is this, that can be, that can go so far. In, in helping us to sort of minimize those anxious moments and minimize that anxiety in our lives. Um, but it is, it's extremely difficult because we don't, like I said, we don't take the time to slow down. Um, but if we do, uh, it can be extremely helpful. Yeah. Well, and I think we, we just don't, just to have a language of vocabulary for emotions right. is, you know, for guys in our culture, it's still this way. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't even know what we're feeling. We right. may be feeling sad and it just comes out as anger or right. we we just don't know. And it for me, it takes me a while for me to figure out like, what do I actually feel? So naming that and then kind of going, getting a little bit curious about all that is like yeah. vital. Well, and I, yeah, I, I don't, we didn't get into this, but but one of the one of the big things through uh, the praxis, uh, kind of a spiritual formation group that I went through over the last year, um, is is looking at it and noticing it, and naming it without judging it. I, mm-hmm. I think that that's something you know, especially as you know, being born and raised as a Christian. Um, oh, I wasn't born as a Christian. I was born again as a Christian. Born again yeah. as a Christian. But um, but this idea of <laughs> of not not judging it. You know, I think that's where we miss it too. Is like, I have this feeling, my gut reaction is to say like, oh, that's stupid. I shouldn't feel that way. Like you're, you're an idiot, Brian. Like, don't, don't do that thing anymore. Um, 
noticing it and naming it in a non-judgmental way. I was just saying like, oh, this is a thing. And, and that's all it is. You know, I had one therapist tell me it's like just watching it as like a leaf that's floating by in a stream or a cloud that's, you know, drifting by in the sky. Like that is a cloud and that is all that it needs to be right now. You know, and it, it, it keeps us from giving too much power, you know, to that anxiety or those thoughts or those feelings or those things from our past that, that tend to really take hold and we ruminate on them. Um, uh, well, and that's something that, I mean, we love getting opportunities to talk with more leaders about that and really be vulnerable with them and have them and create a safe space for them to be vulnerable and to walk through these things that you can't actually do by yourself. Right. You can't just listen to a podcast. You can't just read a book and um, and hope to sort of solve these issues. And that's really why we decided to put the green room into existence. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great places like Capable Life that do um, great work in helping people become more effective in their ministry and more healthy in life. But when it comes to what we do, we we try to help worship leaders. We try to help worship leaders just get off this treadmill of 52 Sundays a year. And um, so you can go to greenroomleaders.com. You can find out where there's a group or if you want to join online, what that looks like. Um, and uh, that, but that's really the the passion behind it. it. It is how do we get more worship leaders healthier and giving themselves to the church? Well, and I think that it's important to recognize that, yeah, there are a lot of resources out there, things like Capable Life um, that, that can help you. But uh, but we all know that that artists, creatives, we we take in things differently. We see the world differently. Mm-hmm. We we react to things differently. And so a place like Capable Life, which I absolutely think that you should go to, capablelife.me, um, is a great place to get those resources. Um, it, it may not quite be exactly what you're looking for because there are things that, that people in the creative space, um, we just need something different, like a different way to talk about it, a different, a different way to identify those things. And so, yeah, the green room would be a great place for you as a worship leader, as, as a, as a church creative working in that creative sphere. Um, it, it would be, it would be great for you. So, um, so yeah, please do check out the website, uh, you know, snoop around a little bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, if there's a group that works for you, feel free to sign up and, and, uh, and we would love to, love to be able to, to invite you into that space. Um, and, and yeah, find a way for you to get off that ministry treadmill and find some health and some, uh, some passion for your ministry again. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening though. Thanks for joining us. Keep listening. It like, and subscribe, do the whole thing. Um, we, we love when you're here and, uh, we love talking to you. So, yep. See you soon. Chasing Sunday is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and distributed by Resonate Media. Your hosts are Brian Davis and Paul Romig-Levitt, with editing and mixing by Danny Burton. Torn Curtain Arts is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your tax-deductible gifts make our work possible. For more information about TCA and to partner with us in our ongoing work, visit torncurtainarts.org.